Part sixteen of Chance by Joseph Conrad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part sixteen. Powell, on taking his eyes off the old gentleman, noticed Captain Anthony, swarthy as an African, by the side of Flora, whiter than the lilies, take his handkerchief out and wipe off his forehead the sweat of anguish, like a man who is overcome. "'And no wonder,' commented Mr. Powell here. Then the captain said, "'Hadn't you better go back to your room?' This was to Mrs. Anthony. He tried to smile at her. "'Why do you look startled? This night is like any other night.' Which, Powell again commented to me earnestly, was a lie. No wonder he sweated. You see from this the value of Powell's comments. Mrs. Anthony then said, Why are you sending me away? Why? That you should go to sleep, that you should rest. And Captain Anthony frowned, then sharply, You stay here, Mr. Powell. I shall want you presently. As a matter of fact, Powell had not moved. Flora did not mind his presence. He himself had the feeling of being of no account to those three people. He was looking at Mrs. Anthony as unabashed as the proverbial cat looking at a king. Mrs. Anthony glanced at him. She did not move, gripped by an inexplicable premonition. She had arrived at the very limit of her endurance as the object of Anthony's magnanimity. She was the prey of an intuitive dread of she did not know what mysterious influence. She felt herself being pushed back into that solitude, that moral loneliness which had made all her life intolerable. And then in that close communion established again with Anthony she felt, as on that night in the garden, the force of his personal fascination. The passive quietness with which she looked at him gave her the appearance of a person bewitched, or, say, mesmerically put to sleep, beyond any notion of her surroundings. After telling Mr. Powell not to go away, the captain remained silent. Suddenly Mrs. Anthony pushed back her loose hair with a decisive gesture of her arms, and moved still nearer to him. "'Here's Papa up yet,' she said, but she did not look towards Mr. Smith. Why is it? And you? I can't go on like this, Roderick, between you two. Don't. Anthony interrupted her as if something had untied his tongue. Oh, yes, here's your father, and why not? Perhaps it is just as well you came out. Between us two? Is that it? I won't pretend I don't understand. I am not blind. But I can't fight any longer for what I haven't got. I don't know what you imagine has happened. Something has, though. Only you needn't be afraid. No shadow can touch you, because I give up. I can't say we had much talk about it, your father and I, but the long and short of it is that I must learn to live without you, which I have told you was impossible. I was speaking the truth, but I have done fighting, or waiting, or hoping. Yes, you shall go. 
at this point mr powell who he confessed to me was listening with uncomprehending awe heard behind his back a triumphant chuckling sound it gave him the shudders he said to mention it now but at the time except for another chill down the spine it had not the power to destroy his absorption in the scene before his eyes and before his ears too because just then captain anthony raised his voice grimly perhaps he too had heard the chuckle of the old man your father has found an argument which makes me pause if it does not convince me no i can't answer it i i don't want to answer it i simply surrender he shall have his way with you and with me only he added in a gloomy lowered tone which struck mr powell as if a pedal had been put down only it shall take a little time i have never lied to you never i renounce not only my chance but my life in a few days directly we get into port the very moment we do i who have said i could never let you go i shall let you go to the innocent beholder anthony seemed at this point to become physically exhausted my view is that the utter falseness of his i may say aspirations the vanity of grasping the empty air had come to him with an overwhelming force leaving him disarmed before the other's mad and sinister sincerity as he had said himself he could not fight for what he did not possess he could not face such a thing as this for the sake of his mere magnanimity the normal alone can overcome the abnormal he could not even reproach that man over there i own myself beaten he said in a firmer tone you are free i let you off since i must powell the onlooker affirms that at these incomprehensible words mrs anthony stiffened into the very image of astonishment with a frightened stare and frozen lips but next minute a cry came out from her heart not very loud but of a quality which made not only captain anthony he was not looking at her not only him but also the more distant and equally unprepared young man catch their breath but i don't want to be let off she cried she was so still that one asked oneself whether the cry had come from her the restless shuffle behind powell's back stopped short the intermittent shadowy chuckling ceased too young powell glancing round saw mr smith raise his head with his faded eyes very still puckered at the corners like a man perceiving something coming at him from a great distance and mrs anthony's voice reached powell's ears entreating and indignant you can't cast me off like this roderick i won't go away from you i won't powell turned about and discovered then that what mr smith was puckering his eyes at was the sight of his daughter clinging round captain anthony's neck a sight not in itself improper but which had the power to move young powell with a bashfully profound emotion 
it was different from his emotion while spying on the revelations of the skylight but in this case too he felt the discomfort if not the guilt of an unseen beholder experience was being piled up on his young shoulders mrs anthony's hair hung back in a dark mass like the hair of a drowned woman she looked as if she would let go and sink to the floor if the captain were to withhold his sustaining arm but the captain obviously had no such intention standing firm and still he gazed with sombre eyes at mr smith for a time the low convulsing sobbing of mr smith's daughter was the only sound to trouble the silence the strength of anthony's clasp pressing flora to his breast could not be doubted even at that distance and suddenly awakening to his opportunity he began to partly support her partly carry her in the direction of her cabin his head was bent over her solicitously then recollecting himself with a glance full of unwanted fire his voice ringing in a note unknown to mr powell he cried to him don't you go on deck yet i want you to stay down here till i come back there are some instructions i want to give you and before the young man could answer anthony had disappeared in the stern cabin burdened and exulting instructions commented mr powell that was all right very likely but they would be such instructions as i thought to myself no ship's officer perhaps had ever been given before it made me feel a little sick to think what they would be dealing with probably but there everything that happens on board ship on the high seas has got to be dealt with somehow there are no special people to fly to for assistance and there i was with that old man left in my charge when he noticed me looking at him he started to shuffle again athwart the saloon he kept his hands rammed in his pockets he was as stiff-backed as ever only his head hung down after a bit he says in his gentle soft tone did you see it there were in powell's head no special words to fit the horror of his feelings so he said he had to say something good god what are you thinking of mr smith to try to and then he let off he dared not utter the awful word poison mr smith stopped his prowl think what do you know of thinking I don't think there is something in my head that thinks the thoughts in men it's like being drunk with liquor or you can't stop them a man who thinks will think anything no but have you seen it have you i tell you i have i am certain said powell forcibly i was looking at you all the time you've done something to the drink in that glass then powell lost his breath somehow mr smith looked at him curiously with mistrust my good young man i don't know what you are talking about i ask you have you seen who would have believed it with her arms around his neck when oh ha ha you did see didn't you it wasn't a delusion was it her arms round but i have never wholly trusted her 
then i flew out at him said mr powell i told him he was jolly lucky to have fallen upon captain anthony a man in a million he started again shuffling to and fro you too he said mournfully keeping his eyes down eh wonderful man but have you a notion who i am listen i have been the great mr de barral so they printed it in the papers while they were getting up a conspiracy and i have been doing time and now i am brought low his voice died down to a mere breath brought low he took his hands out of his pockets dragged the cap down on his head and stuck them back into his pockets exactly as if preparing himself to go out into a great wind but not so low as to put up with this disgrace to see her fast in this fellow's clutches without doing something she wouldn't listen to me frightened silly i had to think of some way to get her out of this did you think she cared for him no would anybody have thought so no she pretended it for my sake she couldn't understand that if i hadn't been an old man i would have flown at his throat months ago as it was i was tempted every time he looked at her my girl ugh any man but this and all the time the wicked little fool was lying to me it was their plot their conspiracy these conspiracies are the devil she has been leading me on till she has fairly put my head under the heel of that jailer of that scoundrel of her husband treachery bringing me low lower than herself in the dirt that's what it means doesn't it under his heel he paused in his restless shuffle and again seizing his cap with both hands dragged it furiously right down on his ears powell had lost himself in listening to these broken ravings in looking at that old feverish face when suddenly quick as lightning mr smith spun round snatched at the captain's glass and with a stifled hurried exclamation here's luck tossed the liquor down his throat i know now the meaning of the word consternation went on mr powell that was exactly my state of mind i thought to myself directly there's nothing in that drink i have been dreaming i have made the awfulest mistake mr smith put the glass down he stood before powell unharmed quieted down in a listening attitude his head inclined on one side chewing his thin lips suddenly he blinked queerly grabbed powell's shoulder and collapsed subsiding all at once as though he had gone soft all over as a piece of silk stuff collapses powell seized his arms instinctively and checked his fall but as soon as mr smith was fairly on the floor he jerked himself free and backed away almost as quick he rushed forward again and tried to lift up the body but directly he raised his shoulders he knew that the man was dead dead he lowered him down gently he stood over him without fear or any other feeling 
almost indifferent, far away as it were. And then he made another start, and if he had not kept Mrs. Anthony always in his mind, he would have let out a yell for help. He staggered to her cabin door, and, as it was, his call for Captain Anthony burst out of him much too loud. But he made a great effort of self-control. "'I am waiting for my orders, sir,' he said outside that door distinctly, in a steady tone. It was very still in there, still as death. Then he heard a shuffle of feet, and the captain's voice, "'All right, coming!' He leaned his back against the bulwark, as you see a drunken man sometimes propped up against a wall, half doubled up. In that attitude the captain found him when he came out, pulling the door to after him quickly. At once Anthony let his eyes run over the cabin. Powell, without a word, clutched his forearm led him round the end of the table and began to justify himself i couldn't stop him he whispered shakily he was too quick for me he drank it up and fell down but the captain was not listening he was looking down at mr smith thinking perhaps that it was a mere chance his body was not lying there they did not want to speak they made signs to each other with their eyes the captain grasped powell's shoulder as if at a vice and glanced at mrs anthony's cabin door and it was enough he knew that the young man understood him rather silence silence forever about this their very glances became stealthy powell looked from the body to the door of the dead man's stateroom the captain nodded and let him go and then powell crept over hooked the door open, and crept back with fearful glances towards Mrs. Anthony's cabin. They stooped over the corpse. Captain Anthony lifted up the shoulders. Mr. Powell shuddered. I'll never forget that interminable journey across the saloon, step by step, holding our breath. For part of the way, the drawn half of the curtain concealed us from view, had Mrs. Anthony opened her door but I don't draw a free breath till after we laid the body down on the swinging cot. The reflection of the saloon light left most of the cabin in the shadow. Mr. Smith's rigid, extended body looked shadowy too, shadowy and alive. You know, he always carried himself as stiff as a poker. We stood by the cot as though waiting for him to make us a sign that he wanted to be left alone. The captain threw his arm over my shoulder and said in my very ear, The steward will find him in the morning. I made no answer. It was for him to say. It was perhaps the best way. It's no use talking about my thoughts. They were not concerned with myself, nor yet with that old man who terrified me more now than when he was alive. Him whom I pitied was the captain. He whispered, I am certain of you, Mr. Powell. You had better go on deck now. As to me, and I saw him raise his hands to his head as if distracted, but his last words before we stole out of that cabin stick 
to my mind with the very tone of his mutter to himself not to me no no i am not going to stumble now over that corpse this is what our mr powell had to tell me said marlow changing his tone i was glad to learn that flora de barral had been saved from that sinister shadow at least falling upon her path we sat silent then my mind running on the end of de barral on the irresistible pressure of imaginary griefs crushing conscience scruples prudence under their ever-expanding volume on the sombre and venomous irony in the obsession which had mastered that old man well i said the steward found him mr powell roused himself he went in there with a cup of tea at five and of course dropped it i was on watch again he reeled up to me on deck pale as death i had been expecting it and yet i could hardly speak go and tell the captain quietly i managed to say he ran off muttering my god my god and i'm hanged if he didn't get hysterical while trying to tell the captain and start screaming in the saloon fully dressed dead fully dressed mrs anthony ran out of course but she didn't get hysterical franklin who was there too told me that she hid her face on the captain's breast and then he went out and left them there it was days before mrs anthony was seen on deck the first time i spoke to her she gave me her hand and said my poor father was quite fond of you mr powell she started wiping her eyes and i fled to the other side of the deck one would like to forget all this had ever come near her but clearly he could not because after lighting his pipe he began musing aloud very strong stuff it must have been i wonder where he got it it could hardly be at a common chemist well he had it from somewhere a mere pinch it must have been no more i have my theory observed marlow which to a certain extent does away with the added horror of a coldly premeditated crime chance had stepped in there too it was not mr smith who obtained the poison it was the great de barral and it was not meant for the obscure magnanimous conqueror of flora de barral it was meant for the notorious financier whose enterprises had nothing to do with magnanimity he had his physician in his days of greatness i even seem to remember that the man was called at the trial on some small point or other i can imagine that de barral went to him when he saw as he could hardly help seeing the possibility of a triumph of envious rivals a heavy sentence i doubt if for love or even for money but i think possibly from pity that man provided him with what mr powell called strong stuff from what powell saw of the very act i am fairly certain it must have been contained in a capsule and that he had it about him on the last day of his trial perhaps secured by a stitch in his waistcoat pocket he didn't use it why did he think of his child at the last moment 
was it want of courage we can't tell but he found it in his clothes when he came out of jail it had escaped investigation if there was any chance had armed him and chance alone the chance of mr powell's life forced him to turn the abominable weapon against himself i imparted my theory to mr powell who accepted it at once as in a sense favourable to the father of mrs anthony then he waved his hand don't let us think of it i acquiesced and very soon he observed dreamily i was with captain and mrs anthony sailing all over the world for nearly on six years almost as long as franklin oh yes what about franklin i asked powell smiled he left the ferndale a year or so afterwards and i took his place captain anthony recommended him for a command you don't think captain anthony would chuck a man aside like an old glove but of course mrs anthony did not like him very much i don't think she ever let out a whisper against him but captain anthony could read her thoughts and again powell seemed to lose himself in the past i asked for suddenly the vision of the fines passed through my mind any children powell gave a start no no never had any children and again subsided puffing at his short briar pipe where are they now i inquired next as if anxious to ascertain that all fine's fears had been misplaced and vain as our fears often are that there were no undesirable cousins for his dear girls no danger of intrusion on their spotless home powell looked round at me slowly his pipe smouldering in his hand don't you know he uttered in a deep voice know what that the ferndale was lost this four years or more sunk collision and captain anthony went down with her you don't say so i cried quite affected as if i had known captain anthony personally was was mrs anthony lost too you might as well ask if i was lost mr powell rejoined so testily as to surprise me you see me here don't you he was quite huffy but noticing my wandering stare he smoothed his ruffled plumes and in a musing tone yes good men go out as if there were no use for them in the world it seems as if there were things that as the turks say are written or else fate has a try and sometimes misses its mark you remember that close shave we had of being run down at night i told you of my first voyage with them this go it was just at dawn a flat calm and a fog thick enough to slice with a knife only there were no explosives on board i was on deck and i remembered the cursed murderous thing looming up alongside and captain anthony we were both on deck calling out good god what's this shout for all hands powell to save themselves there's no dynamite on board i am going to get the wife i yelled all the watch on deck yelled crash mr powell gasped at the recollection it was a belgian green star liner the westland he went on 
commanded by one of those stop-for-nothing skippers. Flaherty was his name, and I hope he will die without absolution. She cut half through the old Ferndale, and after the blow there was a silence like death. Next I heard the captain back on deck shouting, "'Shut your engines! Slow ahead!' and a howl of yes yes answering him from her forecastle and then a whole crowd of people up there began making a row in the fog they were throwing ropes down to us in dozens i must say i and the captain fastened one of them under mrs anthony's arms i remember she had a sort of dim smile on her face haul up carefully i shouted to the people on the steamer's deck you've got a woman on that line the captain saw her landed up there safe and then we made a rush round our decks to see no one was left behind as we got back the captain says here she's gone at last powell the dear old thing run down at sea indeed she is gone i said but it might have been worse shin up this rope sir for god's sake i will steady it for you what are you thinking about he said angrily isn't it my turn up with you these were the last words he ever spoke on earth i suppose i knew he meant to be the last to leave his ship so i swarmed up as quick as i could and those damned lunatics up there grab at me from above lug me in drag me along aft through the row and the riot of the silliest excitement i ever did see somebody hails from the bridge have you got them all on board and a dozen silly asses start yelling all together all saved all saved and then that accursed irishman on the bridge with me roaring no no till i thought my head would burst rings his engines astern i fighting like mad to make myself heard and of course i saw tears a shower of them fall down mr powell's face his voice broke the ferndale went down like a stone and captain anthony went down with her the finest man's soul that ever left a sailor's body i raved like a maniac like a devil with a lot of fools crowding round me and asking aren't you the captain i wasn't fit to tie the shoestrings of the man you have drowned i screamed at them well well i could see for myself that it was no good lowering a boat you couldn't have seen her alongside no use and only think marlow it was i who had to go and tell mrs anthony they had taken her down below somewhere first-class saloon i had to go and tell her that flaherty god forgive him comes to me as white as a sheet i think you are the proper person god forgive him i wished to die a hundred times a lot of kind ladies passengers were chattering excitedly around mrs anthony a real parrot house the ship's doctor went before me he whispers right and left and then there falls a sudden hush yes i wished myself dead but mrs anthony was a brick here mr powell fairly burst into tears no one could help loving captain anthony i leave you to imagine what he was to her yet before the week was out 
it was she who was helping me to pull myself together is mrs anthony in england now i asked after a while he wiped his eyes without any false shame oh yes he began to look for matches and while diving for the box under the table added and not very far from here either that little village up there you know no really oh i see mr powell smoked austerely very detached but i could not let him off like this the sly beggar so this was the secret of his passion for sailing about the river the reason of his fondness for that creek and i suppose i said that you are still as enthusiastic as ever eh if i were you i would just mention my enthusiasm to mrs anthony why not he caught his falling pipe neatly but if what the french call effermont was ever expressed on a human countenance it was on this occasion testifying to his modesty his sensibility and his innocence he looked afraid of somebody overhearing my audacious almost sacrilegious hint as if there had not been a mile and a half of lonely marshland and dykes between us and the nearest human habitation and then perhaps he remembered the soothing fact for he allowed a gleam to light up his eyes like the reflection of some inward fire tended in the sanctuary of his heart by a devotion as pure as that of any vestal it flashed and went out he smiled a bashful smile sighed bah foolishness you ought to know better he said more sad than annoyed but i forgot that you never knew captain anthony he added indulgently i reminded him that i knew mrs anthony even before he an old friend now had ever set eyes on her and as he told me that mrs anthony had heard of our meetings i wondered whether she would care to see me mr powell volunteered no opinion then but next time we lay in the creek he said she will be very pleased you had better go to-day the afternoon was well advanced before i approached the cottage the amenity of a fine day in its decline surrounded me with a beneficent a calming influence i felt it in the silence of the shady lane in the pure air in the blue sky it is difficult to retain the memory of the conflicts miseries temptations and crimes of men's self-seeking existence when one is alone with the charming serenity of the unconscious nature breathing the dreamless peace around the picturesque cottage i was approaching it seemed to me that it must reign everywhere over all the globe of water and land and in the hearts of all the dwellers on this earth flora came down to the garden gate to meet me no longer the perversely tempting sorrowful wisp of white mist drifting in the complicated bad dream of existence neither did she look like a forsaken elf i stammered out stupidly again of the country miss mrs she was very good returned the pressure of my hand but we were slightly embarrassed then we laughed a little then we became grave i am no lover of daybreaks 
you know how thin equivocal is the light of the dawn but she was now her true self she was like a fine tranquil afternoon and not so very far advanced either a woman not much over thirty with a dazzling complexion and a little colour a lot of hair a smooth brow a fine chin and only the eyes of the flora of the old days absolutely unchanged in the room into which she led me we found a miss somebody i didn't catch the name an unobtrusive even an indistinct middle-aged person in black a companion all very proper she came and went and even sat down at times in the room but a little apart with some sewing by the time she had brought in a lighted lamp i had heard all the details which really matter in this story between me and her who was once flora de barral the conversation was not likely to keep strictly to the weather the lamp had a rosy shade and its glow wreathed her in perpetual blushes made her appear wonderfully young as she sat before me in a deep high-backed armchair i asked tell me what it is you said in that famous letter which so upset mrs fyne and caused little fyne to interfere in this offensive manner it was simply crude she said earnestly i was feeling reckless and i wrote recklessly i knew she would disapprove and i wrote foolishly it was the echo of her own stupid talk i said that i did not love her brother but that i had no scruples whatever in marrying him she paused hesitating then with a shy half-laugh i really believed i was selling myself mr marlow and i was proud of it what i suffered afterwards i couldn't tell you because i only discovered my love for my poor roderick through agonies of rage and humiliation i came to suspect him of despising me but i could not put it to the test because of my father oh i would not have been too proud but i had to spare poor papa's feelings roderick was perfect but i felt as though i were on the rack and not allowed even to cry out papa's prejudice against roderick was my greatest grief it was distracting it frightened me oh i have been miserable that night when my poor father died suddenly i am certain they had some sort of discussion about me but i did not want to hold out any longer against my own heart i could not she stopped short then impulsively truth will out mr marlow yes i said she went on musingly sorrow and happiness were mingled at first like darkness and light for months i lived in a dusk of feelings but it was quiet it was warm again she paused then going back in her thoughts no there was no harm in that letter it was simply foolish what did i know of life then nothing but mrs fyne ought to have known better she wrote a letter to her brother a little later years afterwards roderick allowed me to glance at it i found in it this sentence for years i tried to make a friend of that girl but i warn you once more that she has the nature of a heartless adventuress adventuress repeated flora slowly so be it 
I have had a fine adventure. It was fine, then, I said, interested. The finest in the world. Only think, I loved, and I was loved, untroubled, at peace, without remorse, without fear. All the world, all life were transformed for me. And how much I have seen, how good people were to me. Roderick was so much liked everywhere. Yes, I have known kindness and safety. The most familiar things appeared lighted up with a new light, clothed with loveliness I had never suspected. The sea itself. You are a sailor. You have lived your life on it. But do you know how beautiful it is, how strong, how charming, how friendly, how mighty? I listened amazed and touched. She was silent only a little while. It was too good to last, but nothing can rob me of it now. Don't think that I repine. I am not even sad now. Yes, I have been happy. But I remember also the time when I was unhappy, beyond endurance, beyond desperation. Yes, you remember that, and later on, too. There was a time on board the Ferndale when the only moments of relief I knew were when I made Mr. Powell talk to me a little on the poop. You like him, don't you? Excellent fellow, I said warmly. You see him often? Of course. I hardly know another soul in the world. I am alone. And he has plenty of time on his hands. His aunt died a few years ago. He's doing nothing, I believe. He is fond of the sea, I remarked. He loves it. He seems to have given it up, she murmured. I wonder why. She remained silent. Perhaps it is because he loves something else better, I went on. Come, Mrs. Anthony, don't let me carry away from here the idea that you are a selfish person, hugging the memory of your past happiness, like a rich man his treasure, forgetting the poor at the gate. I rose to go, for it was getting late. She got up in some agitation, and went out with me into the fragrant darkness of the garden. She detained my hand for a moment, and then, in the very voice of Flora of old days, with the exact intonation, showing the old mistrust, the old doubt of herself, the old scar of the blow received in childhood, pathetic and funny, she murmured, Do you think it is possible that he should care for me? Just ask him yourself. You are brave. Oh, I am brave enough, she said with a sigh. Then do, for if you don't, you will be wronging that patient man cruelly. I departed, leaving her dumb. Next day, seeing Powell making preparations to go ashore, I asked him to give my regards to Mrs. Anthony. He promised he would. Listen, Powell, I said. We've got to know each other by chance. Oh, quite, he admitted, adjusting his hat. And the science of life consists in seizing every chance that presents itself, I pursued. Do you believe that? Gospel truth, he declared innocently. Well, don't forget it. Oh, I, I don't expect now anything to present itself, he said, jumping ashore. He didn't turn up at high water. I set my sail and just as I had cast off from the bank, round the black barn in the dusk, two figures appeared, and stood silent, indistinct. 
"'Is that you, Powell?' I hailed. "'And Mrs. Anthony?' His voice came impressively through the silence of the great marsh. "'I am not sailing tonight. I have to see Mrs. Anthony home. Then I must even go alone,' I cried. Flora's voice wished me bon voyage, in a most friendly but tremulous tone. "'You shall hear from me before long,' shouted Powell suddenly, just as my boat had cleared the mouth of the creek. "'This was yesterday,' added Marlowe, lolling in the armchair lazily. "'I haven't heard yet, but I expect to hear any moment. "'What on earth are you grinning at in this sarcastic manner?' I am not afraid of going to church with a friend. Hang it all for all your belief in chance. I am not exactly a pagan. End of part 16 Recording by James Carson End of chance by Joseph Conrad